Welcome to Mind Over Matter with Heather Hakes, where mindset is everything. I share stories of insight, personal experience, ways in which I and others have overcome obstacles, and the importance of perseverance. Welcome to my podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. I am thrilled to have you here on my podcast, tuning in weekly as I share two episodes with you. My goal through this podcast is to inspire and empower as well as motivate you to move forward in life. I also provide one-on-one coaching, so if that's something you're interested in, listen all the way to the end for ways to connect with me. Welcome to episode number 185. This week's guest shares so many golden nuggets about overcoming obstacles and getting outside of your comfort zone, but a key message he shares is to just breathe. Make sure you listen all the way to the end on this episode. Welcome to this week's podcast episode. I brought on Dr. Sia Fuladian. Sia, welcome. Hey, Heather. How are you? Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Give the listeners a little background. Where do you live and what do you do? Uh, I live in Orange County, California, sunny Orange County. Um, and I am a cardiac anesthesiologist by training. Um, but in the last few years, just out of a series of, uh, you know, amazing experiences and opportunities. I've branched out into different business ventures um, and just really focused on coaching and mindset uh, shifts for myself and uh, some of my clients who I began to coach recently and kind of tr- create their most beautiful life for themselves, whatever that definition is. And predominantly, I focus on physician burnout and resiliency training because it's something that I've personally experienced and it's dear, dear, near and dear to my heart. Um, and some of the other things that I've learned along the way, I feel like you can just really contribute and give back, um, by creating an impact, by helping others, you know, quote unquote, see the lights that took you a while to see and forced you to go through some experiences to create really significant changes that aren't difficult, um, but they take commitment to do. Well, and I love your backstory, which we'll get into, but, the big thing you talk about is resiliency. And obviously, you know, you, you've been through a lot as we all have, but I, I think it's learning that life is happening for you and not to you. So how everything you've been through, how have you been able to go from, you know, a victor mentality rather than victim? Um, you know, it's, I think I've always been a pretty resilient person. Um, but there are times, like you said, everyone goes through things. Um, and you know, I, w- I lived a very idealistic life, um, in my late twenties, early thirties, I worked my butt off in residency and medical school and all that, but I can't say I had any hardships really. I lived a great life. So I was, I've always had a resilient mindset, always been grateful, but I think in my thirties as you know, thirties are a very different, different decade. And a lot of things happen that really shook me in a lot of different ways. And I didn't know how to respond. And in those moments, I probably was in victim mode. um, And I kind of lost that resilience. But going through the process and looking back, really the thing that still gets me through to this day and things still come up um, every day for everyone. And we all have their stories and things that we're working on. But the number one thing I can say is gratitude for me. Um, And I can tell you like four or five years ago, if you said the word gratitude to me, I would have said, well, that's kind of like one of those soft concepts. And yes, I'm grateful for my life. I'm grateful for this. I've worked hard for it, but I'm grateful for it. Um, But gratitude takes on a whole different meaning for me now because um, it's not about, yes, I have a great life, 
um, but I've worked for it. It's, I am just grateful, very basic things, getting up in the morning, having a roof over my head, looking out and seeing the sunshine, feeling the sun on my face as I'm leaving my house for work, whatever it is that comes up. I, you know, you can all, like you said, you have a choice to be the victim, like life is happening, you know, to you. And if you want to take that pers- like pers- perspective, and a lot of people do, there's no judgment or anything wrong with it, but that creates your reality that things are happening to you instead of knowing that if you actually look at it from a different perspective, from an abundance perspective, that, you know, things happen in life, period. They either happen to you or they happen for you. It's things that happen are not good. They're not bad. They just are. And a lot of times we assign, you know, a judgment to something that happens in our life right off the bat because our mind is trained that way. It has a negativity bias that, you know, if this happens, oh my God, it's bad. Look, this happened to me. I can't believe it happened. But if we take a step back and we realize that it's not good, it's not bad, it just is. And in that moment, really, it takes some hard work. But in that moment, instead of focusing on how bad it could be, just take take some time to find something that you, you can be grateful for in that moment and really see what opportunity you can create out of it instead of um, seeing how it sucks or this isn't what I want. But, you know, in that moment, it may not be what you want. But if you actually took look at it from an abundance gratitude standpoint, be like, you know, in six months, this may be exactly what I needed to happen in this moment, even though I think it sucks right now, for me to be in a in a place I need to be in six months or a year and three months, whatever it is. Um, and if you can really tap into that kind of mindset, um, and it doesn't happen for everyone, it takes practice, it doesn't happen overnight, but if you can consistently find gratitude appreciation and whatever is happening in that whirlwind and that tornado around us that you know we run through life through we take a step back several times a day just to be thankful for whatever's happening in that moment you train your mind to go to gratitude instead of scarcity and negativity consistently in good times and in the difficult times and that's where you really tap into that uh, unshakable power um, is just by training your mind to be grateful. So long answer to your short question. <laughs> and I totally agree. And this literally reminded me of an incident yesterday. So I was at, I went to a English tea party with my mom, aunt and cousin, and I got a metered spot right out front of the hotel, downtown Denver, which is, you know, can be hard to come by. And then, I mean, I'm pretty good about metered spots, you know, because nobody wants a, a ticket. And I came out literally two minutes late because we had been waiting on the check, came out two minutes later and had a fucking parking ticket on my car. I was pissed, pissed. Yeah. And then my mom, my mom was all about embrace it. Thank it. Because I'd ha- I had been having my own thoughts of lack or scarcity. And of course, it's going to show up in that way. And I even, I went over to the, um, city government building, whatever, to dispute the ticket. (laughs) I didn't get off the hook, which I have in the past. So yeah, I was just pissed. And then when I finally just stepped back and let it go and come from a space of, I have the money to pay the parking ticket. Thank you for the reminder that I have the money and abundance will flow. And, but it was hard in the moment. Yeah, no, I agree. And, you know, um, I think again, any, any coach, any whoever, positive development person, anyone in life says, you know, they don't experience those moments. Honestly, they're lying because we all experience them. It's just a matter of how quickly we can dig ourselves out of it. Um, and it probably happens to you, me, everyone, multiple times a day. 
But what the difference is for me in the past, things would happen at work or in my personal life. And it would take me not days, maybe weeks, maybe even longer for myself to let myself off the hook, show myself self-compassion, empathy, um, and love. And it would take me weeks. And that, that transition in a week or two weeks, however long it took me to get over it, I would lose sleep. I wasn't working out as much. I wasn't taking care of my mental, my mental my state, my family, like all those things that you, you weren't present. And all you do in, by letting that one moment, good, bad, whatever it was, poison your future moments. Um, and I realized, and I did that frequently. And I, one of the things I had to do was take ownership for it. And now I just can tap into that because I've experienced the opposite. And I just chose that, you know, I had to wake up and be like, I don't want to live that way anymore. And a lot of people, it's comfortable to live that way because some people get pity out of it. They feel they, you know, they like that victim role because the victim role can create significance for people where they feel seen when they don't feel they're worthy of being seen. So it becomes addictive in some ways, but it's not a healthy attention that you're getting because it's not, you know, people aren't gravitating towards you. They're feeling bad for you and pity and sadness is not something that I want to invite into my life. I want people who are aligned with who I am to be part of my experience. Um, and just kind of to go back to what you said about, you know, the parking ticket, um, about three weeks ago, um, I had one of those moments that really proved to me, and it's, it's those moments that I'm grateful for where, um, you know, I, I, now I see things that like when things happen, I'm like, okay, the universe, whoever up there is teaching me, like, are you, are you really committed to your growth? Have you really learned from your past, uh, and, and put those transformational change in there? So I was backing out of my single car garage. Uh, at 6.30 in the morning, going to work, I was not paying attention. My side rearview mirrors of my Tesla were out, and I sideswiped my left one, and I saw it in slow motion happening. And I got out, dropped about eight F-bombs, and was really pissed for about a minute. And I was beating myself up. I was like, you idiot, you, you, you come in and out of this garage a thousand times. How could you do this? And I knew it was going to be expensive to replace so I picked up, literally picked up the pieces of my, the frame of my, uh, my side view mirror, got in my car. I was like, okay, well, that's not good. It's not bad. It just is. It happened. You can't unbreak it now. Um, so I decided that, well, you know, I held on to it for about a minute or two, got the F-bombs out, kicked myself a little bit. And I was like, well, you know what? I don't want to spend the money on this piece, but you know what? I'm grateful enough to have a job that allows me to be able to do that and if I choose to fix it then I'll fix it because I can afford to it's not exactly where I want to put that kind of money um, because I can do a lot better things like have better experiences and contribute to others lives with that kind of money than replace my rearview mirror and I haven't decided if I'm going to um, but I have the opportunity and the financial stability to be able to do that so it just kind of shifted me out of that I could have been I could have been angry till this day because I st it's not still not fixed. Every time I look at it, I could choose to be really pissed off about it and kick myself. And I don't, I texted my brother and a couple of my friends, the pictures of it. And it just became by the end of the day, like I had released it in the morning, but once I kind of chose to share it with other people, well, I chose it because I wanted to show them that this happened and this is going to be expensive and it sucked to start your day off that way, but I didn't let it ruin my day. It was a Monday, I think it was a month ago today, or no, yesterday, Monday. Um, so, and I saw that growth that, yeah, I, I could have kicked myself for another couple of weeks. Every time I looked at it, I could have been like, see, you idiots, how could you do that? 
And then it just reminded me that, hey, you know, I've actually, I've been way overdue for my service. So that happening was just the universe's way of saying, hey, you should have scheduled that service. So go ahead and do it. And I did, you know, and now I tuck my rear mirrors in every time I go in and out of the garage. So it was kind of like, now I just laugh at it. But two, three years ago, I, I would have still been upset about that every time I looked at it. But now I'm just kind of laughing about it. So, you know, it's gross. Well, and I think three points to touch on that you brought up in just a minute ago is having self-compassion, which I think can be hard for people because you want to beat yourself up. So self-compassion to take ownership of whatever it is. And most importantly, what you did, you learned from the lesson and you bring the mirrors in. So yeah, yeah. Every time. (laughs) Okay. So what I really want to touch on is the experience you shared with me about training for a triathlon and everything you went through and talk about mindset shifts and resiliency and pushing past comfort zones. So can you walk us through that whole process? Yeah. So, um, I, uh, in my last year of training at UCLA for my cardiac anesthesia fellowship, you know, I was busy, but I just felt uh, that I needed to connect a little bit more with my community and have a little bit more sense outside of just uh, work um, so I joined team and training triathlon. I was kind of pushed by one of the, uh, operating room personnel who I was friends with and she was doing it. And I, I had always said, you know, I was always been an athlete, played soccer, done half marathons, ran consistently. And I always said, you know, I can't do a triathlon. I don't know how to swim. And my friend was like, I'm older than you. I don't know how to swim and I'm doing it. So you have no excuses. And I was like, you know what? She's right. So it's just the, the, the story I've been telling myself. So I signed up for uh, team and training for triathlon training. And I was like, I don't know how to swim. I'll figure it out. Um, so that was kind of, you know, but it was very scary, but, um, I chose that I was, we had a deadline in six months, we're going to do a triathlon and I needed to figure out how to swim. So however sink or swim, I was going to learn and it was going to be swim. So, um, you know, I joined, I created support around me. I knew I couldn't do it on my own. Um, so I joined a team. I found mentors who knew how to do it, knew how to train people to do it and did that. Um, and unfortunately, I did not figure out the swimming part, which then the hardest part for me was breathing and, you know, doing your freestyle stroke and kicking. It was too many pieces in my head and I can go about 50 yards or two lengths of the pool before having to stop. So by the time the triathlon came around, I was not in the position to actually swim, but I still did it. I got in there and I ended up backstroking the entire swim which I, in that moment was one of the most <laughs> miserable experiences of my life because people are swimming over me. I don't yeah. know where the lane buoys are, but I was determined to get out of the, get out of the water and onto the bike and onto the run and finish it. And I did it. Um, fast forward, you know, a few months after that, some of the great friends that I still have from my triathlon, my first triathlon team, there was an Ironman in Coeur d'Alene that um, those guys wanted to do. And I still didn't know how to swim. I was still trying to learn. Um, and, you know, there was a group text going around that, hey, you know, Coeur d'Alene opens this morning. Let's do it. And I was like, you guys do it. That's great. I don't know how to swim. Again, that kind of narrative was back in my head. Um, and they're like, just sign up. You have a year. You have 10 months to do it, figure it out. And I was like, yeah, it's easy for you to say because you know how to swim. And I was still selling that story. And then eventually, after, you know, a few more minutes of going back and forth, you know, I was like, you know what? Fuck it. Let's sign up. I have 12 months. I'm either going to die in the water or I'm going to get out of the water. I can't backstroke. And I can guarantee you that it's two and a half miles. I cannot doggy paddle. I cannot backstroke. So 
I'm going to figure it out. We got 12 months. We'll figure it out. So we signed up and, um, I have zero regrets because I learned so much from that experience. Um, and I did figure it out just kind of one day clipped out of nowhere. I had one mentor who just said a few things that shifted something and I figured out how to breathe in between strokes. And it was like one of those light bulb moments that I will never forget because I promised myself that once because it took me so it took me nine months to actually figure it out. I was swimming three or four times a week consistently forcing myself in that water that I didn't want to get into. Um, and because I was like, I committed to this, I'm going to do it. And, um, I finally, once it snapped, I was like, once I, when I figured this out or now that I figured it out, I'm never going to stop swimming because I knew what it took me to figure it out. So, um, and that was just part of it. Just, you know, learning to ride a road bike, um, was a whole different story. I hadn't been on a bike in years and then clipping in and trying to clip out and, you know, the first time I did it down the, down my street in Santa Monica, I came to a four-way stop sign and I couldn't clip out fast enough. So I ate shits and there's cars on every single corner. <laughs> and they all got out of their cars and came up to me like, oh my God, are you okay? Because I, I really just ate it. Um, but, you know, it's, it's one of those things I fell, I scraped both my knees, I was bleeding, I got back up and I walked my, back, my bike back to my apartment and then i was like all right well we're gonna figure this one out too and you know you just do these things you you got to get it back up no matter how bloody you are you just got to get it back up let yourself heal and then go after it again you touched on so much and, and the big thing that i love is i preach to get outside of your comfort zone that's where the magic happens that's where the growth yeah. happens yeah. but how how did you, because mo- a lot of people are going to quit when things get hard, they're going to quit, especially that bike sitch when you ate shit. Some people would be like, fuck this, biking's not for me. So what do you think is in you that you keep pushing, that you persevere, that you have the endurance? What? How do you keep going? Well, first of all, I don't think there's anything special about me. I think everyone has it inside of them. I think they just need to tap into it. But for me, what I've kind of realized is there is that fear point where your mind, your, the mind, not your mind, is telling you, forget it, it's not worth it. It's trying to convince you out of it. it. But it's realizing that, you know, those are just, you know, your saboteurs trying to prevent you from living your best life. And it's that point of fear that or whatever that nonsense is that you're feeding yourself, your mind is feeding you. It's stepping back from it and saying, no, this isn't like, what is your outcome? What do you want your outcome to be? And there's always going to be something in your way that's going to try to prevent you from that. So for me, over a lot of the experiences that I've learned is that I would rather go for it and fail than to always wonder what if and look back and be like, I had an opportunity that I didn't take. And we all have those experiences. I've, I've had that several times in my life, that regret, um, that feeling of like, I wish I had instead of like, I did it. And this was the outcome. And whatever that outcome is, you know, it's not good. It's not bad. It just is. At least you experienced it. And you can rest at the end of the day knowing that you gave it your all. And I think that's the difference is I'm willing to, you know, step outside of my comfort zone. And you do that every single day. You just don't know it because there's a lot of it. Going up to a stranger and talking to them is stepping outside of people's comfort zone. And I hadn't done that regularly for a long time. And now I do it all the time because some of the experiences I've had has like been remarkable. The synergy that has created it for me and my other businesses. Um, and just like meeting you at, you know, our Tony Robbins last year, you know, you know, this was in June last year, but you know, I saw you, you know, you're talking to a couple of people I knew 
And initially I was like, oh, you know, maybe I shouldn't talk to her. And I just ended up, I don't know how we ended up talking, but a year later I'm on your podcast. We've seen each other several times since and we have a great friendship. So without me like pushing myself to like come up and talk to you, we may never have crossed paths, you know? So it's those moments of realizing that what's the worst thing that can happen? It doesn't work out. So what? Did you learn something from it? Yeah, if you learn something from it, then it worked out. And it's changing that mindset. Because um, a lot of people have this paralysis of analysis where they get stuck in that fear. And it's all, it's irrational things. And fear is naturally irrational. Um, but then we let that avalanche take over instead of, you know, we took a snowball of, hey, I fell off my bike. Yeah, I could have broken my leg, whatever. I'm bleeding. It hurts. It's embarrassing. And more than anything, my ego was bruised because I'm a grown-ass 32-year-old man, a doctor, a cardiac anesthesia fellow, all this like ego stuff, and I can't ride a bike. I just hate <laughs> shit in front of people, and every <laughs> everyone got out of their car. Like, you know, it was it was embarrassing. But now I laugh about it because I'm so glad I didn't stop there. Yeah. You know, I'm so glad I didn't stop trying to learn to swim because what I've gained, the people I've met, the experiences I've had since then have been the direct results of not letting my fears, not letting my mind overtake with fear. And, you know, it's not worth it. It's always worth it if you're willing uh, to put in the work. That's it. You know, and the things you learn from it, it or it's, it's always worth it in the end. The question that I love that you stated was, what is the worst thing that can happen? And that's something I asked myself when I was getting ready to quit corporate, because that's scary, leaving stability and a paycheck and I asked myself that, what's the worst thing that can happen? For me, the worst thing was I quit. It didn't work out. I ran out of money, whatever, and I go get another job. That's the worst thing. So I think, ask yourself that, whether it's approaching somebody, taking on a, a business venture, a new risk, whatever it may be, what's the worst thing that can happen? I love that. And, you know, sometimes and it's an important question to ask because some people, you know, some people burn out and then they just quit. I don't recommend that. Some people, you know, I have a friend, Lynn Marie Morsky, who, you know, has a company that's focused. She's a physician and lawyer and she quit. And she did basically designed to quit both of those because it wasn't passion based. And she teaches other people to quit by design. And I think it's a brilliant idea and a great thing to help people tap into what their passions are. But, you know, for me, I'm with my background. I don't just, I, I ask myself, what's the worst thing that can happen? But I also know what I want. So I strategically move in that direction. So it's not about like just saying, fuck it, I'm done. You can do that. There's, that's an option. And people do it and they succeed because then they have, they burn the bri- they burn the boats. They get on the island, they burn the boats, they burn the bridges. Um, and they have no way to get across again. And, and they have to survive in that island. But for me, I have to, I've always been a little bit more strategic. I'm like, this is my outcome. This is what I want in 12 months. I visualize it. And then I take daily um, one millimeter shifts or steps towards that outcome, um, you know, and get there. And that's what I've had to do because, um, you know, I, I'm not as I, I am. Risk, I'm not risk averse, but, you know, I, I'm a risk taker. But for me, um, you know, I know what my vision and outcome is and it doesn't necessarily mean dropping everything. Um, and I think that's a, that's a great way for some people. But uh, for me, it was more about this is where I want to be and how do I want to get there? I had to create my ideal life, my vision for that, and then take action in the steps in my life that were no longer serving me. And that includes relationships. It included friendships. It included my mindset, my own shift that I had to do. Um, and I, 
you know, implemented and executed on a daily basis towards those goals. Well, and something that I, I, I want to make sure that we touch on is, so swimming used to be your biggest fear thing, right? With your triathlon yeah. and your Ironman, maybe was, has it been the most difficult thing you had to learn? Um, it's been up there. I mean, I think it's top three. Um, I think swimming was, it was very mental because it was a lot of, it was not being able to breathe. You know, you're not, you can't breathe underwater and you're breathing through your stroke, you're burning ATP as you're going. So you're running out of oxygen and I wasn't physically in in endurance shape for swimming. So for me, it was just that coming up to breathe and not being able to breathe, um, and going back to the swim stroke and just being exhausted. Um, it was mentally exhausting for me to not be able to do it, but it was also just, you put your head in the water, it's cold and you, you can't breathe in because you're supposed to breathe out underwater. And it was just, everything was avalanching for me. It wasn't a snowball. It started off a snowball and then it avalanches very quickly. And then you get into panic, you come up for air and you stop swimming. So I think one of the biggest things I had to learn that in that moment at 32 years old, learning to swim, um, was something I've applied to the rest of my life and anxious moments and tornado avalanche moments for myself has been just breathe because, um, it really was that simple. I just had to learn to breathe, to swim. It wasn't about having the muscle strength and endurance. It was learning to breathe in between strokes, in between life's challenges, during life's challenges, breathe out underwater, slow my breathing. So I'm not breathing like all of my breath out quickly and I'm controlling my breath and then coming up control, taking my breath, going back. And now, um, ironically, you know, swim is one of my things I go to for meditation. I meditate every morning, but when I get into the water and I swim, it is one of the most peaceful, liberating feelings for me. Um, because I can connect to my breath. I connect to my body and I just go and the rest of it, my mind flows. I don't, sit there and I just let my thoughts go. I'm not focusing on what the thoughts are. And it's actually one of those moments that is one of the most creative moments for me because I just, you know, let my mind go where it wants. It goes to the business. It goes to my, you know, my CBD company and, you know, what strategies I want to use and how I want to brand or my personal relationships, other things that have come up and some really great ideas have come up um, during my swims because I, I'm focusing on my breath and letting my mind go. And then I was like, holy crap, that's brilliant. And then by the time I get out of the water, I can write it down. Um, so I've had a lot of aha breakthrough moments just in my own personal development in terms of my mindset and also in terms of the, the you know, the, the abundance it's given me in terms of my business um, and coaching and, you know, other companies that I've been working on. So it's been life changing for me just to learn to breathe with swimming. Well, and I love the metaphor that just to learn to breathe through whatever you're going through in life. And also that your biggest obstacle is your, I think, the biggest opportunity. So swimming has now become your happy place, your zen. 100%. Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. 100%. And, you know, the, um, the, during the Ironman, the swim was the most amazing experience for me. We swam at the Coeur d'Alene Lake. It was 60 degrees, not, not warm. But, you know, it rained every other day um, that week that we were there and it cleared up on race day. And, you know, two and a half miles, it was, for me, it was the most like amazing experience, amazing swim I've ever had besides some of the opportunities I've had to open water swim with dolphins during training 
Um, but that just, you know, that set the stage because, you know, the brace was not easy for me. The bike was still and still remains my most challenging part of the race. 112 miles of it is, you know, uphills and your body, you know, getting tired and not being able to eat and do the nutrition I needed to do. I got really sick about mile 70 and had another 42 miles to go. So I just, you know, at that point it was, it was not about breathing. I'd done that in the water and I was just one foot in front of the other one pedal stroke at a time and just keep moving forward. Um, and I was able to get off the bike and then it was just a race to the finish with a marathon and, you know, crossing that finish line was hands down one of the, you know, most amazing experiences of my life. Um, so, and it all started because I had to learn to breathe, you know, and everything else just kind of flowed from there. I love it. Okay. So then I have a question for you. What is the number one takeaway you want listeners to get from today's conversation? Um, I think one of the biggest takeaways is, you know, whether um, you're, you know, whatever challenges you're taking on, whether it's a new business, it's a new family, new relationship, um, you know, or if you're having challenges or obstacles in any of those um, parts of your life that, you know, just to kind of step back, don't try to put yourself in the middle of the, the whirlwind, just step back from it and really breathe. You know, I, again, I know we've said that several times, but really connecting with your breath, it slows down your heart rate, it slows down your mind. It gives you a little bit of space from whatever's going on to really be able to reevaluate the situation. And for me, one of the mottos that I've really implemented from some of the mindset training and courses I've done is, you know, like life is not, it's, it's not good. It's not bad. It just is. And in that non-judgmental state of whatever's happening in that moment, it may be the worst thing that can happen. There's certain situations like that, you know, are not just what they are like death of a child, death of a parent, someone you love. Those are big events, but at the end of the day, you know, there is a way through those things if we just learn to breathe and connect with ourselves and make sure that we, you know, put our oxygen mask off on and breathe and give ourselves self-love and compassion in those moments. Because if we can't give ourselves that compassion, that love, we're not going to be able to give it to anyone else. Um, and, you know, it's a hard thing to do. Um, but once you're able to really just breathe, um, slow yourself down, take yourself back a little bit and see, you know, this, this is horrible now. It may not be the worst thing in the world later on. You know, a couple of examples of that. You know, the the parents of, um, you know, the person who created uh, Mothers Against Drunk Driving. Terrible, terrible tragedy, tragedy in her life. Her, her daughter was hit by a drunk driver, um, and she, that's a that's a catastrophic event in anyone's life. Um, I, I can't honestly say it's not bad, it's not good, it just is. But she took a horrific experience in her life, and she created purpose out of it. So she chose to not see it. She can't see it as good, obviously. She didn't see it as bad. She grieved, and she did the processes that she needed to do but she stepped outside of that grief. She didn't let that become her story. She chose to take that, that event and create something good out of it and help other parents and other people in the world have, you know, acknowledgement and more lights on drunk driving and created a movement around that. Um, another example, Christopher Reeves, who, you know, suffered a traumatic uh, spinal cord injury, um, horseback riding. And, you know, he had wealth, fame, all these things. Um, 
and after that he was he was a quadriplegic um had to couldn't breathe you know had to be in a wheelchair and you know from the, what i've read about him during that time after his his horse riding accident his life became so much happier filled with meaning because he was able to take that serious tragedy and and promote spinal cord injury and shed light on research on helping other people with spinal cord injury. So there's a huge movement in at UCLA it was one of the places that I got to participate in some of the research and developing, you know, new strategies and protocols to help with spinal cord injury, early spinal cord injury to help people learn to walk again um, and re reconnect to their neurologic systems. So those are traumatic, really terrible things that we can get stuck in and say, this is the worst thing that can ever happen to me. And we can get stuck there for the rest of our lives and that can become our story. Or we can choose to say, this may be bad now. It's not good. It's not bad. It just is right now. I'm going to take care of myself. I'm going to love myself. I'm going to give myself compassion. And I'm going to see what opportunity there is in this to create impact, to con contribute and create something really remarkable out of this negative, bad experience that I just experienced. And I think we all have the ability to do that. We just have to tap into it. And a lot of times it just takes us to step back, take a few deep breaths, release whatever that is in that moment and dig ourselves out of the avalanche that we usually create our own mind um, and allow our mind to kind of run with that and not step out of ourselves and really see the opportunities that are there for us. Yeah. And I agree. It's about turning your pain into purpose. Yeah. Yeah. What I would like to do now is ask you a few rapid fire questions to wrap up the interview. And the first one being, what is a quote or motto that you live by? Um, it's actually, um, one of the, it's my, my branding for my company, my CBD company. And the, I, I just want to live my most beautiful life. Um, mm -hmm. and I think that is, um, something that really resonates with me because we all have the opportunity to live our most beautiful life every single day, regardless of what's happening to us, not to us, for us, around us. Um, we can always create something beautiful out of that day, out of any experience that comes. We just have to consciously choose to do that. So I commit to living my most beautiful life. I love that. What is a book you're currently reading or highly recommend? Um, I am actually, I'm reading, a, it's a book by Mark Hyman. It's a book on health. It's called Food, What the Heck Should We Eat? Um, and it's just about um, kind of the myths about um, the food industry. He's, uh, Mark Hyman is a um, MD who is uh, the, the, president CEO of the Institute for Functional Medicine. He really incorporates Eastern with Western philosophies and health um, and really tries to educate people about the food industry, what we, you know, food is fuel. It's, you know, food is medicine. It's a lot harder to, more expensive to take care of your health when you allow your body to deteriorate versus fueling it with the nutrients that you need. So it's been very eye-opening for me um, to see, you know, what really, is true out there about some of the myths about, you know, eggs and cholesterol and dairy versus some of the things that we should be eating. So um, that's kind of the, one of the books I'm reading now. So. Nice. I actually, he spoke at, at an event. I was Lewis Howe's Summit of Greatness last year. And yeah, he's a inspiring guy. And I think his book had just come out then. So yeah. yeah. Okay. Final question for you. What advice would you give your younger self? That's a good one. Um, my younger self, um, 
One of the things I wish I had done in my 20s was read more. I think um, I was really caught up in medical school and, you know, just trying to breathe through that because sometimes you feel like you're drowning with everything that's going on in the residency. I really wish that I'd taken a little bit more time um, to really explore, um, you know, reading, reading about self-development, you know, reading, stepping outside of my comfort zone and some of the things that I didn't know, because what I've realized in um, going through my thirties, a lot of the decisions I made um, that again, were not good. They're not bad. They've led me to where I am today. Um, I probably would have made different choices if I had really explored my own, you know, inner demons, my lack of self-worth, my self-esteem issues. And the only way I could have done that is if I had chosen to read a little bit more and really kind of expose myself to books and ideas that were outside of my comfort zone again. Um, because what I've done in the last two or three years is really dive deep into that. And it's been very liberating and it's really awakened how I've made choices about um, lifestyle, partners, um, relationships, you know, how I approach things and, you know, the opportunities that I've missed out on because um, I didn't believe that I could succeed. And I, I was right. I didn't succeed because I didn't believe I could. So it really has shifted my perspective. So just to read more, to expose myself to different Eastern and Western philosophies that, you know, I was kind of in the past. I was like, oh, that's, that's nonsense. It's that. I just wasn't open-minded enough about it. And now I, you know, soak it up like a sponge because I see how incredibly impactful it has been for my personal life and my daily experience of um, how I choose to, to experience my life. That's awesome. Sia, thank you so much for joining me and sharing your story. Thanks a lot for having me, Heather. I appreciate it. Thanks for tuning into this week's episode. To connect with me further, you can find me on Facebook Heather Hakes. I am also on Instagram as heather.hakes. And I even have a YouTube channel. Guess what? Heather Hakes. I'll catch you on the next episode. Mm-hmm.